Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm Meredith Bell, your host, and I am just so honored to have with me guests who will both inspire and challenge you. My podcast is sponsored by Performance Support Systems, publisher of software tools and books for improving the way people communicate in the workplace. And you can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. I'm so excited to welcome back as my guest, Libby Gill. Libby, welcome back. Thank you, Meredith. I am so happy to be back. Well, uh, Libby was my guest in episode number 84, where we talked about her book, The Hope Driven Leader. And Libby is such a talented person. She is a prolific author. In fact, we're going to be talking about her brand new book today, which I'll tell you in a moment. But um, she is the former head of communications at companies like Sony, Universal, and Turner Broadcasting. And today she focuses on executive coaching. She's a leadership expert and she is an award-winning author. And what I love about her work is she guides both emerging and established leaders to first clarify the next level of their work, and then she guides them to get there. And what's interesting today is the topic of the book And what we're going to focus on is really different than anything we've ever talked about on this podcast. And I'm, but it's, and I should say, it's so important. The name of the book is Leadership Reckoning. Can higher education develop the leaders we need? And I have a copy of it right here. I have read it. I just loved it because it's so important. It was a little discouraging to read some of the, you know, front end part, but it's very hopeful in what is brought out in terms of what universities really can do. And Libby, you co-authored this with Tom Kolditz, who is the director, actually the founder of the Door Institute for New Leaders at Rice University. So let's just talk a little bit about that organization, why was it established? Let's go back, you know, to the beginning of it. How did that get started and when? It was founded um, five years ago by John and Ann Doerr, who are John Doerr is the chairman of Kleiner Perkins, the venture capital firm, uh, early investors, and, you know, a few small companies like Amazon and Google. So he was a student of leadership, he and his wife, Ann, both Rice graduates, both engineering graduates from Rice. They had, they had supported Rice for a long time, including the engineering school, but they felt that there was a, a dearth of leaders, and you were referring to the parts that are a little bit eye-opening and, and frankly sad about the lack of trust and leadership in our country. Lots of institutions, trust levels have fallen. 
And knowing that there was this lack of leadership in, in business, certainly, and, and also in other sectors, the doors, John and Ann decided they needed to do something about it and they took action and they donated $50 million to Rice University to set up this institute, the Door Institute for New Leaders. And they appointed Dr. Tom Kolditz, who you mentioned. Tom became the executive director and really created that leadership training program, leadership development program from scratch. And he started with one other person and they started talking to people and listening to people and asking lots of questions and came up with a set of core principles that they thought were, were critical in forming this leadership development um, institute. I mean, it's, it's not a training program. It's not a coaching school. It is an all-encompassing organization that is a standalone within Rice University. It's not part of engineering or business school. It is its own entity, which they felt was very important that it be self-governing and reporting into the provost, the, the number two person within the entire university system. And I think it's important to point out that this program was set up for students. Yes. This is a student leadership program. And I know they've you know kind of branched out and are doing additional things, but one of the crying needs, it seems like, that led them to do this. I remember reading the story of John Doerr coming back and interviewing what were considered the top students, right? Yes. Or some of the top students, but he was less than impressed with them as leaders. And here were the people that were leaving the university and going out into the workplace and not prepared for that, right? right? Yeah, here's an elite school. And you're right, he was meeting with the elite of an elite university and found that they weren't articulate. They didn't, couldn't really frame what they wanted to do. And, and he just found this real lack of, of maybe not motivation, but a sense of command and leadership that there was no no leader identity, which is where it was all, all everything sprang from is that, and that it was so interesting in doing the research that so many young people assume that leadership is a title or a, you know, a job that you aspire to as opposed to an identity, a decision you make to lead. And, and that's what the doors saw was lacking and thought we need to get in there and do something about this. And now, now the Door Institute is uh, 10 full-time people. There are hundreds of volunteers, coaches, lots of moving parts to this in a very short period of time. And now 40% of the student body goes through the leadership development program. I think that's an important aspect to point out too, that it is open to everyone and it's voluntary. So they're not forcing students to participate. So there's a level of motivation already yes. for them. And they see the benefits for themselves personally in their own personal growth, but then also preparation for the job market. Yes. Because I think, you know, I, I was, I had the good fortune of talking to Tom Colditz yesterday. And one of the things that he mentioned that I thought was so interesting is that Company chief human resource officers now are contacting Rice to recruit these students because they have skills that other students don't, even from you know, some of the best known and well-respected universities because of how prepared they are to be leaders. 
And I think that this whole idea of universities missing this huge opportunity to, um, to really take advantage of four years of having students with them and what they could do. So I want to get into some of the points you all make in the book, but first tell me how you got involved in this whole project to begin with, the Institute, and then also the writing of the book. Well, it was a really lucky uh, coincidence for me that I have a friend who was approached about this project and she was unable to do it. And so she, she introduced me to Tom and the team at, uh, at the Door Institute. And I flew down and met with them and met with some students. And I thought, oh, this project has my name all over it. I'm so lucky to be here. And I started working with them in terms of uh, interviewing students and finding out what the Door Institute had, had taught them and where they were going with that knowledge. And at that point, they didn't have a graduate body. And now there are they're some people who have graduated through the program and gone out into the workforce. And we were, we were able to capture some of those stories. But when I started with them, there, it was so new that the students had nobody had graduated yet from from Rice. Mm. So now we're capturing data, and they have much more about the the alumni who who go on and can really can really quantify what the training and the leadership program did for them in terms of starting as new leaders on their jobs in the professional world. So they they had such a jump start going into the business sector, and mm-hmm. as you know. And I know from being a coach, and that's why it was such a good fit, because I'm a, I, I love to write. I've always been a professional writer throughout my entire career, even in my entertainment days, that was, it was very much writing focused. So that was a great uh, fun part of it is, is sort of codifying what the program was and how it was done and putting that into language. And then, of course, they added all the metrics because they are devoted, as you saw from the book, to measurement and to making decisions based on did this work or did this not work? And to what extent did it or did it not work? And how do we change it or do we throw it out? And they are merciless in their, in their, um, in their measurement. If something's not working, it's very funny. Tom says, you know, we, we, if it works, we're going to turn on the money faucet. We're going to really, really hone that program and make sure we scale it and make it available to more people. If it doesn't work, we got to turn it off. We either we take it out of the program or we figure out exactly what's not working and we refine it so that it works. And even when they started the program, they had an assumption that was the freshmen wouldn't be ready for this program. They'd be overwhelmed with being away from home and studies and all of that. So let's not offer it to freshmen. Let's start with sophomores. And then they decided, you know, we don't really know if that's true. We're making this assumption. And they found out so many freshmen were interested and got such value from from the program starting from the beginning of their college career that they were completely wrong. So that just reconfirmed their commitment to measurement. Yeah, I was kind of blown away by the focus on measurement. And yet I was also very impressed by it because that's really the shortfall of so many other university programs for students around leadership. Why don't you talk a little bit about, because I think that this is relevant. This conversation is very important because it, while we're focused on universities, I think there are a lot of people that can listen from being in the workplace, being responsible for learning and development programs 
who can also benefit from this focus on measurement versus events and other kinds of activities that don't produce results. So talk a little bit about what kinds of um, leadership, you know, I'll put quotes, activities that other universities put in place and why those don't produce results. What, that was the thesis, was that universities are not doing what they are promising that they will do, which is create leaders. So you're paying, and you know, the astronomical figures that, uh, that young people and their parents um, help pay for students to go to particularly the top tier universities or private schools, all of that. And are they really becoming leaders? And so as they do at the Door Institute, they decided we, we better make sure that our assumption that this is not being done is accurate. So a research graduate student made calls to many schools and found out, got a lot of data and people were very willing to talk about what they did or did not do. And what we found was that most schools were not measuring any results. So they were saying, oh yes, we develop leaders, but based on what outcomes? And, and there typically weren't any. It was very rare to find a school that had any sort of measurement of, you know, we, we are training or teaching or developing this and here is the outcome. We found also that leadership programs were not centered in one place. There's a little here, a little there. And, and, and people would say things like, oh, yeah, I think we've got something in the career center or, yeah, there's something in the business school and often would not even know at their own campus what was made available to students. Another thing that we found was that um, often students who were already considered leaders were the ones invited into these programs. So they were small, they were selective, and they were invitation and it, it was, if you were already a leader through your high school experience or your, your early college experience, come into this leadership program, which sort of negates the entire premise. It wasn't for people who, who said, I'm already a leader, not that they couldn't improve, but it was for anybody who wanted to be, who aspired to be, who was making the decision to even just learn what leadership was about. So when we discovered that the thesis was accurate, that that wasn't, those things were not being, being done and being measured, and even from the students themselves, one student talked about going to a, a student leadership conference at another university and playing games and drawing pictures. And she was, she was already into the, the door program and said, this is not for me. And she left early. It was mm -hmm. a waste of her time. And time is valuable to students who are under lots of time constraints and demands. So she just wasn't going to mess around with something that wasn't going to bring her value. So it was, it was a very rigorous process of defining what, are, what do we see out there in the academic landscape and how can we do it differently and prove that it is working? Mm. And now that program is, as you said, it's opt-in. You, you decide if you want to avail yourself of it. And there are very few dropouts once people come into the program and see what it is. And most of the advocates for the program are students themselves. It's their advisory team of students. It's, it's sort of like their, their street marketing team. They're the students who've gone through it and are thrilled to talk to mm. students at the residence hall or the, you know, the international house or, or wherever students gather and talk about this both informally and formally. And the, uh, one of the things that um, 
I remember reading a lot of the universities do offer are these speaker series where they pay big bucks to bring in authors or experts in particular areas. And they call that leadership program, a leadership program. Why is that not really a leadership program? That, as you know from the book, is what Tom terms leadertainment, because it's more entertainment. And I will say, I'm a professional speaker, as is Tom. And we both know that in an hour, in 45 minutes, even in, in, in two hours, if you're telling your story and giving some conceptual information, that's not leader development. It can be inspiring, it can be interesting, it can be entertaining, but it's only when you take those concepts, develop them, put them into action, follow up on them, that there's any development happening. And as much as I love to go out and speak, I don't kid myself that in an hour, I'm going to change somebody's leadership trajectory. If I can introduce them to a new idea, that's lovely. But it's not leader development. It's what they do. And it's, it's an ongoing process. You can, be, you can be a high school leader and more power to the young people that are doing that and deciding they're going to take some active role, whether it's in politics or the environment or the schools. And then who you are at, at 17 as a 17-year-old leadership, uh, a leader, is very different through the rest of your career. So it, but it sets you on a course where you understand that there is no one size fits all leader. A lot of young people came in and thought, oh, it's the extroverts, it's the loud people, it's the people who are you know, challenging. Those are leaders. And they're completely disavowed of that notion that no, leaders come in just about every shape, size, color, gender, age, you know, all of that. It's who you are and your decision to lead, then growing the skills that come with that and then taking that into the business world, which we're beginning to see. Mm -hmm. So let's look at, because there's a whole chapter in there on the, um, you call them, I think, the core principles, first principles. principles. So talk about, because to keep this from being too generic, not generic, but conceptual, Let's bring it down to specifics. What are some of the actual parts of the program that do make it work? One of the first principles, and these were some of the things that, that were researched in other universities, is that this is a standalone entity. This is a fully housed, funded, nobody needs the kind of funding that the Door Institute was fortunate to get from the doors, but... It is a standalone entity that is managed and measured by professional leader development people. So it's not a a professor who might have a great class on leadership, but academic learning about what great leaders, what constitutes a leader and who some of those are and sort of the academic side of it is not the same as developing a human being to be a leader. So this is a standalone, whatever it's called, It is its own entity. It is self-managed. It has its own founding principles. Another was that we've got to measure outcomes relentlessly. And we've already talked about that, but it was measuring everything. If you don't measure it, how do you know you're developing leaders? And even as a coach, and I am not a statistician by any means. That was my least favorite class in grad school. I, I didn't want to, you know, I'm not a numbers person. Therefore, I relentlessly measure coaching outcomes. Uh, you know, whether it's a one to ten scale, a you know, it's I've always got outcomes. I'm looking at self rankings, rankings by other people, 
because you have to have some sort of measurement and theirs are very highly refined. So that's a really important function and first principle. It's also someone who is a professional statistician, researcher, measurement at, at the Door Institute. It's PhD, Dr. Um, Ryan Brown, who is the measurement person. That is what he does. He doesn't have input into the programs that are being developed. So he can't say, hey, I think this is a good idea and I'm gonna measure it. It's completely different as Tom says, you, you don't have the, uh, the, the team captain of your team doesn't get to call the balls and strikes. That's the umpire who's outside of that, uh, of that circle. It's gotta be somebody that's not involved in the measurement, in the development or the training or coaching. I so, really liked that separation because it does prevent the person whose heart and soul went into creating a program <laughs> exactly. from, from arguing from the emotional side. Right. What do the numbers tell us? And, it, and having a separate expert involved with that. I think that was great. Completely objective and trained person to come mm -hmm. in and do that. And at an, an institute that was, uh, if a university wants to start a program on a much smaller scale, they can have a, a postgrad or a postdoc or a graduate student do this kind of measurement. There are plenty of people that can put in their own measurements and we shared exactly how we do it. It's over my head in terms of measurements and scales, but, um, but we share in the book a pretty straightforward approach to measurement. Mm -hmm. Another founding principle is that the people involved in the program are professionals. So these are not kindly mentors who've come in and decided they're gonna to talk to these students about this is how I handle my career. They're not professors who come in and add an element again of academia. These are trained coaches, trained leader development uh, personnel that come in and train these students. They happen to, at Rice, they pull from the ICF, the International Coach Federation for their trained coaches so that they've got a common shorthand, they know the training, they understand the institute, and they work in partnership with that entity. So those are some of the founding principles that, that they use and, and recommend that you don't, if you're starting your own leader development program, you don't have to use ours, but you have to have some sort of, you can't start a business, you can't start a program without knowing this is what it's going to look like. And these are our, our principles that we stand for. Uh -huh. And they have, I was there for their founding principle lunch. They do it every month and sit down and talk about their relentless measurement and their standalone cap capability. It's also reaching out to other entities around the university. And they, they take proposals from other schools and they'll do research studies. I think it's either one or two a year they're doing now. So if another department, um, another discipline within Rice says, hey, we'd like to measure this environmental impact. Can you help us with that? They will take that through a very rigorous measurement project yeah. and process as, as sort of a give back and a community effort. And that's another one of their principles is that they, they, they're there to serve. They're there to help others. And that includes the whole community of Rice. Yes. Let's go a little bit deeper with the coaching, because I'm guessing some of my listeners will go, coaches for students, <laughs> you know, in, in organizations, typically that's reserved for executives or higher end leaders. And now we're talking about coaching students. 
Um, I would love to have you describe more about what that program is like, because these are not volunteer coaches. These no. are professionals, as you said, certified by ICF, paid to come in and work with the students. So talk a little bit about what that structure looks like. Yep. These are paid coaches and they do five sessions with the students. And, and I should say these things vary. They'll measure it and change it. And I think that was just changed to four sessions because they found four was ex- was just as valuable as five. So why waste anybody's time, including the students and the coach? So they take, they start with an assessment and they use the EQI, which is an emotional intelligence assessment. And it helps the student see that where are they in certain areas like self-awareness and confidence, those sort of building blocks of leadership. And again, you can take that at any stage of your career. And of course, you'll see outcomes differently through your own personal growth and your professional growth trajectory. But it gives students a basis for looking at, oh, okay, I can see I'm I'm really good at at um, at my my self-control, but I'm not so aware of others. You know, I don't have a level of empathy. They begin to see those traits and have a common language with their coach. And they use that as a basis. And then they set their own goals. It's completely student-directed. It is client-centered. The student is the client, just like it would be if I'm working with someone in a business community. The student is the client. They set the goals, what they want to do within the coaching program and within the greater realm of their Rice experience. And the coach is there to ask probing questions, to give some suggestions, to hold people accountable. If they say, I'm going to take this action and try it out, there will very likely be a follow-up of, did you do it or did you not? And if so, what was the result? If not, why not? And let's try it again. So the coach is there to be that sounding board. Uh, they can. They are often very inspiring to the students because they do share some of their, their own life experience that comes into the relationship. And the students take that and, and they run with it. And some people become leaders on their sports teams, um, in their athletic world. Some take on greater roles in their academics. There was one student, uh, and they, they bring cultural sensitivities into account. There was an, an Asian student who said she had been raised and trained to obey her parents, obey her student, her teachers, and that was part of her makeup. And when she got to Rice, and she saw that you know things could be different, and she started to, to speak her mind in, in classrooms where she felt like, I don't have anything to offer. I'm, I'm coming at this from a completely different perspective. And she started to feel more confident and even emboldened to, to raise her hand. And that was one of her activities. She said for herself, I'm going to speak up in class. And the first time she did, she found that her fellow students were fascinated by her very different perspective than what they had grown up with. So it made her feel like, not only can I speak my mind, but I've got something of value to offer. And she went so far as to change her her business focus of where she decided to be, because she had wanted to be a journalist. She thought the smart thing and the family idea was to go into energy, which is very much a Houston industry. And she decided to take an internship in China in um, journalism and see where that would lead her. So just the act of saying, I want to try this out was very much, she discovered that through this coaching process. Mm -hmm. I just 
think that's so powerful. The idea that you've got the opportunity to really uh, clarify your thinking on yes. these things. And, you know, to me, I wonder if, if I'd love to know if they've measured this since they measure everything else. <laughs> but as I was listening to you and as I was reading the book, I thought, I wonder what the impact has been on dropout rate. Because some students, when they first go to college, they're kind of lost and not sure where to go. So I'm really glad they discovered that it was worthwhile to start at the freshman level. Yes. Because that's where I think so many students struggle initially with dealing with this whole new world of, uh, you know, being on their own, away from home, away from parents, and just not knowing where they fit in. And it sounds like these coaching opportunities really give them some wonderful um, support in this whole process of discovering. And each coaching call is measured. It's measured by the, the client. And, um, and, and Rice, or the Institute, they will drop a coach and have dropped a couple if they see that the student reports that they're getting are not, they're not being effective coaches. Mm-hmm. They're either not meeting the students where they are or they're overstepping. And it, it can be several different things. It doesn't happen often, but it will happen. And that is part of the measurement process. It's just fascinating to hear you describe all the different ways that, you know, everything is measured, which kind of blew my mind as I was looking at that. I thought, well, how would you measure that? And then they start to describe how it gets measured. The well, kinds you know, of things that you think of are, are not observable or would be tricky, even going so far as to ask the people around that student, yeah. talk a little bit about that aspect of input. Sure. Well, in, in the business world, and, and you've touched on this, but I'm typically called in to coach VPs and up. That's where the organizations want to assess people. That's where they want to jump in with, with help and support and coaching. And they're missing that whole bottom half. But one of the ways we do it in business is a 360 assessment, of course, mm-hmm. where you go and you talk to colleagues and peers. They do their version of that, talking to roommates or uh, fellow students or friends to get some feedback. Now, of course, they have to know what they're looking for. Is someone, have they become more empathetic? Have they become more verbal, more outgoing? Uh, Are they more willing to share their opinion? There was one woman who didn't want to go to church with her fellow, you know, her roommates. They all went to a church. She wasn't opposed to it, but it just wasn't her weekly thing that she was prepared to do. And she was afraid to say that at first. And then she voiced that. And of course, it was fine. But, you know, you can be nervous about voicing any kind of dissenting opinion. But Mm. people began to get the courage and the self-awareness that this is who I am and it's okay to say what I want or what I don't want. And so colleagues who were, you know, the gamut of roommates, friends, acquaintances, and and fellow students were asked to um, weigh in on some of these behaviors and changes. And, And in some cases, Uh, Team captains or athletic advisors, other people would weigh in on this as well and see if they had observed some of these behavioral changes. Well, you know, anytime you introduce something new, there's the challenge of getting buy-in from Mm -hmm. other people. And so uh, I think this is relevant for anyone who wants to take a big idea and get support for it. What are some of the things that 
um, either Tom did or the team did to really help educate everybody at the university what this was all about and then get their support and buy-in so that they could talk positively about it to students. Sure. Well, first of all, these are these are true servant leaders. Uh, Tom, as you know, is a former brigadier general. He is trained to lead and serve. And his right hand, Lily Bezosi, is also a West Pointer. So these are people that are highly trained in leadership skills. So they are very aware of, of supporting and serving others and, and sensitive to the rest of the Rice community. So they made sure that they they made themselves known. They let people know that they were, you know, they, they were out to coddle anybody, but they also were not out to step on toes. They didn't want anybody to feel that they had usurped the academic coursework or any kinds of activities that were happening. They embraced them. They were very good uh, neighbors, as they said, at the university and made sure people understood the mission and understood them. And they, 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 they went and talked to people is what they did. It was as simple as that and made it very clear what the mission was and what anybody else's role or overlap might be and welcomed any support, any questions, any comments that they got from other people. Now they stayed, stay, stayed very true to their mission, but they were aware and sensitive and, and good stewards of the role that they had, had taken in within the university, because certainly there's a career center. Certainly there are some academic courses that delve into the leadership. The engineering school has its own leadership component. And they made sure that they were complimentary. They were doing their own thing, but the people knew who they were and what they did. And uh, I thought that was really smart. I have worked as a coach with many groups, teams. And the first thing you do is, is make yourself a friend of that team before you go in and start making changes. You, it's all about that kind of collaboration and, and open and honest dialogue. Mm -hmm. That's really uh, a key point. I would love for you to share some other case studies that wow. either you put in the book or you've heard about since the book came out, since especially people who have, you know, graduated and are now in the workplace and they can describe what a difference that experience made for them. There's a young man in the book who we talk about who went on to, he went through the door and students can also become uh, certified coaches through the door Institute. So not only are they coach, but they can then become actual certified coaches by going through an additional program. So there are all sorts of things they can be involved in. But this young man, one of the things he knew was an issue for him was uh, managing conflict and challenge and, and managing people with those dissenting views or behaviors that could be considered underperforming. And so once he went through this training, he became aware that, you know, for many people, that's very awkward. It's hard, especially as a young leader, to manage others and to tell them when something is not, you know, it's not making the grade, it's not up to standard. And once he went out into the workforce, he found that he was much more equipped to do that. He was able to hear the person out rather than cutting them off, but then change the direction or the behavior. So he learned how to have that conversation about, you know, why are you, why are you doing this this way? Or why did this outcome happen? Here's a way I would prefer that you do it. I think this is a better way. So he found a dialogue and a way to have that conversation that, that didn't minimize the other person, 
but also made very clear what the standards and commitments he expected. And so he, he found that much easier to do after this training. And one story I particularly loved, and I interviewed most of these students for the book. So that was, that was such fun to hear about what they thought about Door coming into it. And some were like, I don't know what this was, but it sounded interesting. So I signed up. And one young man wanted to be an entrepreneur. He was in the engineering school and he said the engineering program was mostly, probably not solely, but mostly aimed at people going on to engineering roles within corporate America. He didn't want to do that. He knew from day one, he was an entrepreneur. He had that entrepreneur spirit. He wanted to run his own business. He wanted to, to sink or swim on his own merits. And he found it a little hard to find that footing within people that were mostly aimed at big corporate roles. And he joined the Door Institute and went through that program and found he was much more able to say, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. This is what I need to learn. And he ran, he, he submitted himself and his concept for a, a contest, an entrepreneurship concept. And it was a very specific thing about um, ads on taxi cabs throughout Mexico City, which is where he was from. And he won this concept and he went on to create this company. So it was he, but he credited the Institute and the coaching and all of the training for giving him the courage to say, yes, I want this, I want this academic training, but I want to do things differently. I've got a vision for how I want to go. And it, some of it may be a little against the grain, but that's who I am. And he stood by that and he went out and did it. And I just love that passion. And this young man, kid, I would say that with affection and respect, but these are young people. I mean, some of these are 18 and 19 year olds. They are, as Tom would say, they are babies in terms of leadership, but they have vision and they have passion. And there were so many that were so eager to swallow up this training. And as word got out, when I started working with the Institute in 2018, it was at about 25% um, across the university, undergrads and graduates. And now it's grown to 40% in a very rapid pace. And that's because it works and because people have been thrilled to spread the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it just goes to show the experience that you create. You know, on the one side, you've got these hard measurements, but on the other side, you've got this heart filled experience where you see the lives actually being transformed. Right. Um, and it just, it warms my heart to think about this happening with people at such a young age. Yes, and, you know, that, I think that's one of the reasons we see the dropouts at college level, because people have never had this opportunity to think about what do I really value? What do I really think I might want to do. And they're not always ready to do that at age 18 or 19 when they start in college. So this opportunity to learn more about yeah. leading yourself yes, and exactly. the awareness about your own strengths and then to get coaching that helps you question in a safe environment, you know, things about yourself and come up with decisions on your own based on the types of questions you've been given, because I really liked, I mean, I know what good coaches do. I liked the fact that those coaches were following, you know, best practices in yes. terms of working with the students and 
you know, giving them space to question, explore, that they don't get that many opportunities to do that kind of thing in life, but especially not in college when they're attending these classes and listening to lectures. And if they're working in teams, it's an artificial, temporary kind of environment that's not like the workplace. And, it, and so many of the participants found it such a great adjunct to their academics because they could see where they were going. And it wasn't all career focused. It is very self-focused. Uh-huh. What kind of person do I want to be? What, do I, what are my ethics and morals? What's my North Star? What do I stand for? Who do I want to be out in the world? It was that level of self-awareness and that emotional social components. Those came far before skills are being introduced. And I just thought, I looked at this program and thought, boy, if I'd had that as a student, I went to a big state college where I was, you know, I was lost in this sea of other students to, to think that there was, there were those kinds of programs. I, I wish every school would have something modeled in this leadership development um, in this way so that students could really learn about it. And, you know, it, to take it down to high school, to take it down to grade school and not have it seen as an extra or a soft skill, but as a, a real component of shaping human beings because uh-huh. we need that. Well, and one of the things I really enjoyed as we wrap up here with Tom yesterday, when I asked him up front something about, um, so I understand you're wanting to you know, take your program to other universities. He said, well, let me stop you there. We're not really trying to take this program itself. What we're doing is giving away all the components of what needs to go into it, but every university, every college is unique. And so they need to look at what are these first principles, as you call them, to see how do we build a program for us that works for us. So I just love the fact that there are all these resources available for universities that are interested in developing young people to become the leaders of the future. It's so critical for our country. Yes. And and there's a humility at the Door Institute. They don't even pretend, and we say this throughout the book, to have all the answers or to expect people to follow suit. It's exactly what you said. It's about here. It's it's like open source tech when that became Mm -hmm. like, here, Mm -hmm. take whatever. And you're a techie. You know all about this. Here, here are all the tools. Here's all our data have at it, do with it what you want or start from scratch. But we've already done it. So if anything is useful, please just take it from us. Mm-hmm. And that was the spirit that they went into this with. And it's so exciting to see other colleges and universities jump on board and want to develop something similar at their scale with their resources yeah. and funds. That's right. So I want to encourage everyone to pick up a copy of this book, Leadership Reckoning, because the question here. Can higher education develop the leaders we need? I think also looks at, you know, going down to high schools and up into businesses. What can we do to structure programs that result in more people becoming more effective leaders? And I'm being asked more and more to develop programs for younger leaders who in not every organization, certainly some 
big, you know, the Fortune 500s, many of them have leadership programs for what I call emerging leaders. They're leaders in training, but a lot of, a lot of companies don't. And I think that's a missed opportunity. Not only do you have the retention factor, you have the loyalty. It's, it's the right thing to do, but it's also a very smart business decision to be teaching these skills. Why wait 20 years? Right. Why wait 10 years? Like, let's do it now and give them a, a head start. Well, Libby, this has been great. I love your passion and enthusiasm for this. It just comes through in your voice and in your facial expressions. How can people connect with you, learn about the various services you offer and get a copy of the book? They can go to LibbyGill.com, look on my resources page, you'll find the book. And of course, it's sold wherever books are sold. Um, And happy to hear from any of your your listeners. You know, I'm I'm a devout listener to anything you put out, Meredith. So um, if anybody wants to email me directly, they're welcome to at Libby at LibbyGill.com. Great. Thank you so much, Libby. It has been such fun to have another conversation with you. It's always just really enjoyable, but educational too. And I just want to thank you for all the really good and important work you're doing. Thank you. It's just a joy to be here with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.